and more and more like Jesus. See, the point is, I need to be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. And I want to be more like Jesus next week than I am this week. And I want to be more like Jesus next year than, than I am right now. And I want that to be a continual progression of me growing in my faith to become more and more and more like Christ. And we talked a little bit about what that looks like last week and, and what that what what is necessary, what has to be happening in our lives for that to be um, for, to, for to be true for all of us. And, and what we said, if you remember, is that I love how John the Baptist put it. It's one of my favorite verses. The Bible says in the book of John, when John the Baptist was referring to Jesus, he said, I must decrease so that he must increase. Do y'all remember that? And the reason he said that is because when Jesus came on the scene, John the Baptist had a really big following. I mean, he was leading revival services out in the desert, and people were traveling many miles from the cities and coming out to where he was and hearing him preach the word of God. But when Jesus came on the scene, John said, okay, you can't look to me anymore. The one whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, he's before us now. <laughs> the one who I've been telling you about that's coming, he's with us now. So it's no longer about me. Now it's all about him. I must then decrease, he must increase. So really what John is saying is it's got to be less of me, more of him. And folks, if we want to grow spiritually in our life and become spiritually mature, then we have to remember it's got to be less of us, more of Jesus. Can you say amen? That's what it takes. What do I mean by that? What do I mean when I say it's less of me? Well, it's less uh, of my attitude, more of his. Amen? It's less about what I want, more about what he wants. It's less of me following the desires of my sinful nature and more about me allowing God the Holy Spirit to fill me up and to lead me, guide me, direct me, teach me throughout my life so that I might be pleasing unto the Lord. Less of me, more of Jesus. That's what spiritual growth is all about. And we found that out uh, last week and we'll look more into that tonight. But really what we have in these first 12 verses is a call uh, to, to spiritual maturity and what that means for each and every one of us. And what that looks like in our own personal life. So let's look there. Hebrews chapter number 6. Starting in verse number 1. Look what he says. He says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So he urges us to go on. To, to travel further. To keep progressing from uh, the foundational principles and start growing to become what the Lord wants us to become. What He saved us to become. How many of you believe tonight that when Jesus saved you, He saved you with purpose in mind? Can you say me? That's one thing I love about following the Lord. That's one thing I love about what God has done in my life because now I realize the purpose I have. The purpose for getting up in the morning is more than just going to a job and, and making money enough to survive and, and working to live. It's more than, than just that. And, and then coming home and doing it all again the next day. But my purpose now is much greater. I realize my purpose is to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus and become more like Him so that I might make an impact for His kingdom in this world. And by doing so, guess what happens? I also get to lay up treasure in heaven. How do you believe it pays to serve Jesus? I love R.G. Lee. I've read a lot of the sermons of R.G. Lee. He was actually the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church 
before Adrian Rogers. R.G. Lee always said, it pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. It pays every step of the way. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the purpose that I have in Christ. And again, that purpose is for us to become more like Him, to grow into spiritual maturity. And so this is a call uh, for, for spiritual growth here in, in chapter number 6. Now, the first thing that I want you to notice, the first thing that I want you to realize is that spiritual maturity is about spiritual progress. And that's what he's talking about here in this very first verse. I love Warren Wiersbe. Warren Wiersbe says something that I like concerning verse number 1. He says, when it says, uh, um, let us go on, in the original language, it, it actually says, let us be carried further. He says that, that, that you could translate it that way, to be carried further in our growth to become more like Jesus. Now, why would it say that? Well, it says that, uh, folks, because how many of you know we don't grow on our own? We can't grow on our own. Just like a, a, a baby doesn't grow on its own. It takes the right food. It takes the right exercise. It takes uh, nature itself and the help of others for a baby to grow like it needs to grow. And the same is true for newborn babes in Christ. And how many know that's exactly what we are when we are born again into the family of God? The Bible says we are newborn babes. Now, how many of you know there's nothing wrong with that? Absolutely nothing wrong with babies. How many of y'all love babies? <laughs> I love babies. I'm thankful for babies. Heard just last week we got a new baby in the church. Uh, Scott and McKenzie had their baby girl last week. About I think she was five pounds and I don't know what, just exactly how many, how many ounces, born a little bit premature, but things are going great. They're already back home and doing well. Be praying for them, but praise God for babies. I love babies. Parents love babies. How many of y'all know grandparents love babies? I'm telling you, grandparents really love babies. Really love babies. <laughs> I remember when uh, Anna Kate, uh, we were first blessed with her. We brought her home from the hospital. Before that time, when I went down to my mom and daddy's house, they were all excited to see me. They loved seeing me because guess what? I was their baby. Now, I was a big baby, but I was their baby. And every time I come in, they'd talk to me and listen to me talk about everything that was going on in my life and ask me all the questions that they wanted to know about what was going on with me. And when I got down there, they were excited to see me. But then we had educated. And, I, and I'll never forget, man, right after we had brought her home from the hospital, I stopped by one evening to just see how mom and dad was doing. Mama meets me at the front door. And when I walk into the door, she's looking. She's not really looking at me. She's looking through me. And she's looking around me like this. I said, hey, mom, how's it going? What's going good? Where's that baby at? She's looking. Well, uh, mom, they may come down in a little while, but, uh, but she's not with me right now. Uh, well, how's she doing? Everything going good? Yeah, she's doing good, Mom. I said, well, how was your day? Well, it was pretty good. What did the baby do today? And just, I could just tell what was on her mind was nothing what was going on with me. Was going, why? Because parents love them grandbabies. Man, it's all about them grandbabies. My dad actually told me, he said, son, if I would have known how much I was going to love my grandkids and how much I would enjoy being a grandfather, I'd have my grandbabies first. And I said, well, I appreciate it, Dad. Thank you so much. I appreciate the... Uh, the, the feeling of love and sentiment you had towards your son there. But that, that's how they feel. They love babies. And nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with babies. But what is wrong is when those babies don't mature. Nobody wants 
um, that baby to stay like it is. The joy in growing up is to enjoy life till it's fullest. And, and they can only do that if they mature physically. Now, we want them to grow up. Praise God, I told my kids, I want you to grow up. And when you turn 18, get out of the house. I mean, that, that's the whole purpose here. You're to be growing up and getting ready to live your life. And uh, I said that jokingly, and then my oldest daughter, the day she turned 18, moved out. And I thought, honey, I'm just kidding. You didn't have to do it. Do it that quick. And now I want her to come back home. So um, I'm just saying, I want them to grow up, mature, and be what God wants them to be and enjoy life to its fullest. But that can only happen through maturity. Now, God wants the same thing for His kids. God wants us to mature in our walk with the Lord and progress in our faith. And there should be a progression. Now, he outlines that for us in these first three verses. And he brings up six foundational truths for every believer. Look how he puts this. First of all, he talks about um, our relationship to God and the initiation into the spiritual life. Look what he says in the last part of verse number one. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection or go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. How many of you know repentance and faith is what initiates us into the spiritual life? Isn't that right? Without repentance, us turning from sin, changing our mind and turning from sin, turning to the Lord, without placing faith in the finished work of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin, we cannot and will not be born again into the body of Christ. But when repentance and faith, when, when, when we choose to uh, place faith in God and repent of our sins, the Bible says we are saved by grace through what? Through faith. We are saved and born again into God's family. Now, this is the initiation. This is the beginning. And he's not at all saying that we should forget about that. He's just saying we are moved past that. If you've done that in your life, let me tell you this. You don't have to keep worrying about it. You don't have to keep rehashing it. You don't have to keep going back to that. Listen, what you need to do is move forward and grow in your faith to become now what God has saved you to be, to fulfill your purpose. Now, if you've not done yet done that, that's the first step. Repentance and faith. When he says go on, he's not talking about forget it. He's talking about build on it. Right? That is the foundation. This is foundational and this is fundamental for you to begin your Christian walk. For you to begin the spiritual life. Repentance and faith toward God. Let me see if I can illustrate that for you. How many of you know when I was in kindergarten, I learned my ABCs? Now, was that a good thing or a bad thing? That's a very good thing. That's foundational. That's fundamental. But when I'm in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, I don't want to keep spending time learning my ABCs. I want to get those foundational, fundamental things down so that I might build upon that. I want to learn my ABCs so that I can then read words. And I can put sentences together. And before long, I'm re re reading books. And then I'm be reading novels. And then, hey, praise God, maybe one day we can write one or something. You know, you know what I mean? There's a progression. There's growth. 
that we are to be involved in. And, and that's what he's talking about here. We begin with these foundational, fundamental things. Repentance and faith toward God. But then we move forward. There's a progression here. He talks about, first of all, our relationship to God. And then these next two things he mentions. He's really talking about our relationship with people. How do you know we have a vertical relationship with God and a horizontal relationship one with another? And that's very important that we, listen to me now, hold in high esteem both of those relationships. Look, I want my relationship to be right with God, but I want my relationship to be right with God's people. Why? Because you're my family. Do you know that? Do you know that if I have accepted Jesus as my personal Savior, and I've been born again into the family of God, that when I place faith in Christ, the Bible teaches the blood of Jesus was applied to my heart and life. Praise the Lord. If you've placed faith in Jesus, the blood of Christ has then been applied to your heart and life. Guess what that means? That means we're blood kin. The blood of Christ has been applied to me. And the blood of Christ has been applied to you. And now we're a part of God's family. Being brothers and sisters in Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Well, if that's true, we ought to act like it. That's why the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 12. That if one hurts, we all hurt. Why? Because we're many members that make up one body. And if one rejoices, we ought to all rejoice. We're a part of God's family. Yes, we need that vertical relationship. But listen to me, folks. We also need the horizontal relationships we have among the body of the Lord Jesus in the church. It's important. It's not always easy to love one another, but it's necessary. Hey, we're all different with different likes and dislikes, personalities. Sometimes personalities clash, there's no doubt about that. That's all right. You ain't got to be like me and I ain't got to be like you. What God wants is me full of Jesus and what God wants is you full of Jesus so that we might come together to be what God wants us to be as His body so that we might fulfill His purpose by His power. As I'm full of Christ, and as you are full of Christ. I'm not talking about uniformity, but unity. Realizing we are the body. He is the head. He is to lead God and direct us. So it might be what he wants. <laughs> Vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship. That's what I see here. First of all, it's the repentance and faith toward God. That initiates us into the spiritual life. That's the beginning. But then he says something else. Look at verse 2 of the doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands. What's he talking about there? How many of you know when you are saved, the New Testament says you repent and then you are baptized. Let me read it to you. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verse number 40. Now, I'm going to 
going to start in verse 40, but really when I start in verse 40, we're at the end of the message that Peter preaches here. If you want to read one of the most powerful sermons that you'll ever read, the one of the most powerful sermons in the Word of God, you read the whole chapter of Acts chapter 2. From when God the Holy Spirit comes and indwells the church, and you read the message that Peter preaches there on the day of Pentecost. Amazing. He takes us from the New Old Testament all the way up to the New Testament and how Jesus is the fulfillment of exactly what God has planned. It's amazing. Powerful sermon. Now, guess what happens when the Word of God is preached coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit? This is exciting. God convicts hearts. And changes lives. Let me tell you what I want you to continually pray for in our church. In this fellowship of believers. You continually pray that the word of God is preached. Is taught by the power of the Holy Spirit. When that happens, God still changes hearts and changes lives. He still does it. He honors the preaching of his word. And listen to me. He enables us to preach and teach His Word as His people by His power. It's a powerful thing. It's an amazing thing. So we want to be Spirit-led in all we do. Can you say amen? amen? Giving credence to the Word of God and sharing this truth as God gives opportunity. That's what happens here in Acts chapter 2. Now, after he gets done preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching God's word by God's power, look what happens. Verse 40. And with many other words that he testified and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. What he's telling them is, you need to be saved. Hey, listen, you need salvation. He goes on to say in verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Everybody see that? 3,000 souls were saved that day. Why? Because first of all, they received His Word. How'd they receive it? By faith. They received the truth that He had preached about the Lord Jesus Christ. And after they had received Christ by faith, then the Bible says they got baptized. Let me tell you something. I don't think baptism saves anybody. Repentance and faith Saves everybody who trusts in Jesus. However, if you are saved, you need to be baptized. Why wouldn't you want to be baptized? If you are saved. These people believed by faith in the word that was preached. Repented of their sin and praised the Lord. They got baptized, 3,000 of them. What were they baptized into? body of Christ. Absolutely. Now if all you're getting here is spiritual baptism, you're missing the main point. If all you're getting here is water baptism, then, then please let me remind you the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2.12 that we are all baptized into the body of Christ by one spirit. The Holy Spirit that once baptized me into the body Baptizes every believer in the body. Water baptism is symbolic 
of the supernatural work that's already taken place when you place repentance and faith in God. Amen? Yeah. However, water baptism is extremely important. We need to make much of baptism. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Jesus made much of baptism. However, I don't want to do what many have done and make too much of baptism. Can't do that either. When I keep it in its proper context, baptism is symbolic of the supernatural work that only God can do. It means you identify, listen to me now, you identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and you're trusting in His finished work and you're letting everybody <coughs> else know on the outside about what God has done on the inside. Can you say amen? It's a symbol of our faith. It's important. It's powerful. Can't save you. Don't save you. But if you have been saved, you need to be baptized. And so he says, look, this foundational teaching of baptism and of the laying on of hands, what's he talking about? The laying. Let's, let's go and finish this before going further. All right. Let's go on to verse 41. And then they gladly received his word, were baptized, the same day were added to them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. I love that. I love that. They continued steadfastly. They continued Doing what was working. What was working? Preaching the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit. Less of us, more of Jesus. And as they grew spiritually, they couldn't help but grow in number. Amen. Steadfast, they continue. Brothers and sisters, let us not become weary in well-doing. Would you put that on the screen for me, Brother Galatians 6 9, please? We'll get back to Acts 2, but look in Galatians 6 9. Let's not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I love that. Hey, look. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I have become weary in the work of the Lord from time to time. But I have never become weary of the work of the Lord. We're all busy and we've all got a million things that need to be done and we've all got responsibilities. We've all got stuff every day that takes up our time and attention. No doubt about that. Sometimes I feel like my meet, I meet myself coming and going. You know? But listen. Listen to me. Do not become weary in well-doing. What is the well-doing? It's doing what they did in Acts. They were continuing steadfastly. They were keeping the main thing the main thing. 
And they kept on keeping on serving the Lord. Don't become weary in well-doing. Keep on. And the Bible promises we'll reap if we faint not. Isn't that good news? Don't you give up. Don't you quit. And it's so easy sometimes to get discouraged, depressed even, and think, man, am I even making a difference? You ever get there? Man, join the crowd. But you know what the Lord has made extremely clear to me? I cannot quit when I didn't start. And the scripture says in Hebrews 12 too, he that hath begun the good work in me will perform it under the day of redemption. He started it. He'll finish it. I can't quit it. I didn't start it. You can't quit it. You didn't start it. Brothers and sisters, keep on keeping on. Fix your eyes on the hills. That's where your help comes from. Amen? What's the old hymn song say? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the cares of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Put your eyes on Jesus and keep him there. Let me tell you something. If you put your eyes on men, you'll quit tomorrow. I'm talking about men standing in the pulpit or men sitting in the pew, wherever we are. You put your eyes on me and you'll quit tomorrow. Guess why? Because men will fail you. On my best day, I will fail you. Not that I mean to. Not that I want to. Brothers and sisters, I won't let my yes be yes and my no be no. Let me tell you why. Because you are my brothers and sisters. I want to do what I say I'm going to do. But the truth is, I'm imperfect just like everybody else. And so I encourage you, don't put your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look full in His face. He says, get that vertical relationship right. Work on that horizontal relationship. You're baptized into the body. One member among many serving in one body. Are you getting it? And he says on the doctrine of, of the laying on of hands. What does that talk about? Throughout the New Testament, if people lay hands on you, that's imparting a blessing or separating you for service, for ministry. Jesus laid hands on his disciples in the book of Luke, chapter 24, just before he ascended. Back to the Heavenly Father. You'll find that in Luke 24, 50. The Apostle Paul, we know, laid hands on Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, 14. Because he tells him, this gift that's been given to you came to you by way of the laying on of hands. There was an impartation of a blessing. Amen. And there was also a separation for service. I remember just the other, other day, um, I was... The uh, guys who were doing the work in the sanctuary, they took all the stuff out of my office, 
and put it in that room over there. And so a lot of the things that, to be honest with you, I hadn't saw in a while, I started seeing again. All of it was just piled up in there. So I was going through some of that and looking. And I looked through there and saw my ordination certificate. You know what I I opened that thing up, flipped over to the back, and all the guys that were in there that day that was a part of my ordination had signed the back of it. And I'll never forget how that service ended. Y'all know how that happens, don't you? When the ordination service ends, the men of the church who were a part of the ordination council was then asked to come up and lay hands on you and pray that God would have his way and his will in his life, that God would lead God and direct you and bless your ministry. I'm so thankful for that. Dear brothers in Christ, that means so much to me, still means so much to me. That was a, a separation for, a, for the ministry, for a specific work. And so he says that happens as we have these horizontal relationships in the body. Now, all of these are great truths, he said, but don't stay there. Don't stay there. Move on. He talks, first of all, about our relationship to God and the initiation into the spiritual life. Then he talks about our horizontal uh, relationship with others and us being baptized into the body and the laying on of hands as we pray for one another and encourage one another and do what we can for one another to help us all grow in the Lord. And then he talks about what's going to happen in the future. Look at the verse 3 of Hebrews chapter number 6, and we're going to close. Hebrews chapter 6 and, and verse number 3. And this will we do if God permit. Going to verse 4. For it is impossible. Is that right? Go back to verse 2. I'm sorry, brother. I told you verse 3. Of the doctrine of baptism and the laying on of hands. That's the second two. Now look at the third two of the sixth. And of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Now let's talk about this just a minute. What do we know is going to take place in the future? All throughout the Bible, there is a mention of the final resurrection of the dead. Now, in the Old Testament, this resurrection is really kind of generic, and it doesn't give us a whole lot of insight on what's going to happen with the resurrection of the dead. Not so in the New Testament. In the New Testament, we're given insight into what's actually going to take place, and we find out it's not just a generic resurrection of the dead, but there'll actually be two resurrections of the dead, the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust. That's pretty cool to think about. We'll find that in the Word of God. In Acts chapter number 24, verses 14 through 15. Acts 24, verse 14. But this I confess unto thee, that after the, after the way which they call heresy, so worship I got the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Look at the 15th verse. And have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. Now what does that mean? There's going to be two resurrections. The just, we know, are those who are justified by grace through faith in Jesus. Who are made right in the eyes of Almighty God because of the finished work of Christ. That's the resurrection of the just. I believe that's going to take place at the rapture. Do you remember what Paul, uh, Paul promised uh, to the church of Thessalonica because they were all wondering about, well, has, has the rapture already taken place? And if so, um, uh, what's, what's going to happen to us? And also, what's going to happen to those who died and, and, and the, the, the rapture happens and they're already dead, those who died in Jesus? And if you remember in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 
Paul said when the Lord returns to rapture his church that we will be, first of all, those who are alive and remain will be changed and we will meet him in the air. But right before that happens, he says the dead in Christ at the trump of God will rise first. You remember that? So that's the resurrection of the just. And then the Bible teaches about another resurrection. A resurrection of the unjust that's going to take place after the book of Revelation. After everything is over and done with, there'll be another resurrection of the unjust, those who, who, who died not having received Jesus. And then the Bible says death and, and, and all that, that has to do with it, sin, death, and hell will be thrown forever into the lake of fire. You know that? The resurrection of the just and the unjust. But not only... Does he mention the resurrection of the dead? But he talks about the final judgment. Let, let me give you some, uh, a good verse for that. Acts 17, verse 30, and verse number 31. Acts 17, verse 30, and verse number 31. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Why? Look at verse 31. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, Whereof he hath given uh, assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Now, what's, what's the Bible telling us? It's telling us that today is the day of repentance. Why? Because there is coming a time where God will bring judgment, when God will bring judgment upon this world. That final judgment. Now, what are we to glean from this tonight? Well, first of all, if you've not yet placed faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, if you've not repented of your sins and turned toward God in faith, then folks, now's the time to do that. Because final judgment is coming. What else can we glean from that this evening? Let me tell you something, child of God. Your lost friends and loved ones who right now don't know Jesus have no Hope apart from the grace of God. And if they don't trust in Christ, there's no way they can be saved. That will light a fire under us to pray for those we love. That should light a fire under us. Listen to me now. To take advantage of every opportunity we can as God opens the door to share our faith with others. Final judgment is coming. And the only escape of the righteous judgment of God is trusting by faith fully in Jesus. Amen. He's the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. I am glad I get to tell people about Jesus. It changes eternities. Amen. Folks, take advantage of this great privilege. Pray for it. Ask for God to open those doors. Now, he says these things about our vertical relationship. Listen, folks. If you trusted <laughs> in Jesus, you know you've been born again. You don't have to rehash that. That's done. The Bible says that if you place faith in Christ, you are sealed by the precious Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Praise the Lord. That vertical relationship has to be right. 
that horizontal relationship <laughs> needs to be what it's supposed to be. Because we are a part of the body of Christ. And then we look forward to the future God has for us. These foundational fundamental things are important. But don't just dwell there. Don't just stay there. Move on. Grow in grace and become what God wants us to become. Spiritually mature. I wish we had time to go further. I want to get in. Let, let me tell you this. If you have ever questioned eternal security, whether or not you can lose your salvation, or you know someone who has, please come back and be with us next Wednesday night. I'd like to dive off in this tonight, but we ain't got near enough time to get into that. All right? We're going to deal with all of that next week in the book of Hebrews. Because one, one of the verses that people who believe they can lose their salvation always use is found right here in Hebrews 6. I want to see what God's Word is saying to us next week. All right? So remember that. Be praying for those services. Come back and be with us. Bring somebody with you next Wednesday. Remember to pray for our church camp this weekend. Um, if the kids that are coming with you or maybe some that you have invited,